The Lord be with you. Good morning and welcome to our worship series here at IPC Zurich. As you look around you today, you will see that we are varied and different, but we are also one and united, one and united in Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you're visiting with us this morning, especially warm welcome to you. We're glad you are here today and we pray that you experience the love of God and the love of his people as you're here with us today. So please join me now in prayer as we prepare our hearts to worship God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God of light, you are beyond our grasping or conceiving. Before the brightness of your presence, the angels veil their faces. With lowly reverence and adoring love this morning, we acclaim your glory and sing your praise. For you have shown us your truth and your love in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Today's Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 103, verses 1 to 5, and can be found on pages 605 to 606 of the Church Bibles. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And today's New Testament reading comes from Luke chapter 4, verses 38 to 44 and can be found on pages 1031 to 1032 of the Church Bibles. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. Let me just say it's a little bit disorienting to see so many evening service people here at the morning service. Uh, maybe it's disorienting for you too, but um, actually it's great to see and we're looking forward to a very good ACM today after the service. So in preparation for our discussion of Luke 4, let's talk business. Let's talk business. And I literally mean business this morning. So in 1960, a landmark article came out in Harvard Business Review. Some of you might be familiar with this article. It was written by a professor named Theodore Levitt, 
And the article was called Marketing Myopia. Marketing Myopia. A door prize for anyone who's ever heard of that article. Marketing Myopia. Anyone? No? Okay. All right. Uh, the thesis of the article, the thesis of the article was that as e markets evolve, so should companies. In order to be successful, Levitt suggested, companies must sometimes redefine what business they are in. And if they fail to do so, they might find themselves on the outside looking in. Correctly figuring out what business you are in can lead to years and years of success, whereas getting it wrong can lead to irrelevance or extinction. So, what do I mean by all this, or what does Levitt mean by all this? Let me just give you two examples. Two examples of companies who were able to evolve and correctly figure out what business they were actually in. So first is Netflix. 25 years ago, Netflix was in the business of selling DVD subscription services. So how many of you have ever heard of something called the DVD? <laughs> All right, okay. How many of you have never have heard of something called the DVD, right? All right. So if you bought a Netflix subscription, say 25 years ago, every month DVDs would get delivered to your home for you to watch and then for you to return to them. Anyone have the subscription? Right, a few of you, some of you. Okay, you're admitting your age there. At some point, though, with internet streaming and, um, uh, say, content coming over line, Netflix figured out they weren't in the DVD subscription business anymore. They redefined what business they were in. They figured out what they were actually in, the business they were actually in, was the home entertainment business. And so they quickly pivoted to streaming entertainment content and creating entertainment content for consumption at home. Had they pressed on, had they persisted with identifying as a DVD subscription company or business, they would have been history, right? Business history. Instead, they're a $250 billion entertainment powerhouse because they were able to correctly identify what business they were actually in. Okay, one more example. Uh, Nike, right? I think most of us have heard of that company. 30 years ago, Nike might have said they were in the business of supplying shoes and apparel to athletes. And that's, of course, a good business, right? A great business. Outfitting people who are athletically inclined, people who are involved in athletics. But, I would argue, as would many other people, as good as that business is, the business Nike is in now is even better. It might be said that now, in addition to outfitting people who are athletes, the business Nike is in now is outfitting people who aspire to be athletes, or perhaps more accurately, imagine they are athletes. <laughs> it doesn't matter that in your lifetime you've never kicked a ball or made a catch or done a push-up or scored a goal or run a mile or jumped a meter. When you're wearing Nike apparel, you can feel like you are an athlete. And from, and from Nike's standpoint, what a win this is, right? Think how much bigger the market is for wannabe athletes than for actual athletes themselves. Right? There's no comparison of the numbers. And of course, because of this, Nike has joined, enjoyed phenomenal success 
So like Netflix then, Nike did an excellent job of identifying exactly what business they needed to be in. All right, so the question of the day, question for our consideration today. What business, business, was Jesus in? What business was he in? What was the central pursuit of his life and his work? What was the main activity of his ministry? We say it depends. He, after all, did a lot of different stuff, right? We, we read this morning in Luke 4 that he healed the fever of, his, of Simon Peter's mother-in-law, his disciple, right? And that he saw a lot of folks with diseases and illness and he tried to cure them. This is what we just read in Luke 4. Luke 4, we also read that he did some preaching as well. He preached from town to town, it says. Just read that. And then if you read further, you see that he was involved in all sorts of activities, not just preaching. It goes beyond that. We read in Luke 4 about exorcism, so spiritual warfare. He was in the business of spiritual warfare, you might say. And elsewhere, as we continue on in Luke, we see Jesus telling these interesting, meaningful, sometimes very pointed stories called parables. And so he was trying to teach people with these parables. So you might say then, well, Jesus was in the teaching business. In addition to the spiritual warfare and the healing and the preaching business, he was in the, the teaching business. And then as we go further in Luke and elsewhere in the Gospels, we see Jesus confronting the Pharisees quite often, actually. These ultra-religious, uh, holiest of the holy people of this time. Jesus confronts them in their hypocrisy and their unbelief. In these interactions with them, Jesus calls them out and he sets them straight. So we might say then that, that Jesus was in the spiritual reform business. He was trying to reform religion as it was practiced in Israel during that time. And of course, there were the miracles, right? Feeding of thousands of people with a small portion of food. Turning water into wine, resurrecting the dead, walking on the water. Maybe Jesus was in the business of doing miracles. And we go on and on and on, couldn't we? Jesus was involved in a lot of things. And for this reason, it's perhaps difficult for us to characterize what exactly the business was, the business was, that Jesus was involved in. So... As believers look at all these things Jesus was involved in during his time on earth, during his ministry here on this earth. Generally speaking, this is a, a vast oversimplification of the issue. Generally speaking, believers can fall into, say, two camps on this, identifying what was the core business, if you will, of Jesus on this earth. Again, this is an oversimplification Actual people with their actual ideas don't fit so neatly into one of these characterizations, these two camps that I'm going to mention. But hopefully it works as a generalization, a generalization of, of what the business was that Jesus was involved in. So first, first for many believers, Jesus is the savior of souls. The savior of souls. The one who rescues us from hell. He's mainly in the business of giving eternal life to those who believe in him. That's one perspective on Jesus' business here on this earth. For other believers, though, 
they would acknowledge the other as well, and of course. This is the second camp of people. For them, though, Jesus is maybe more so the curer of ills, the cure of ills, both individual ills and societal ills. Jesus helps the sick after all. He comforts the suffering. He reaches out to the poor, defends the oppressed, fights for justice, advocates for peace. There Jesus is mainly in the business of curing all that is sick and wrong in people, all that is sick and wrong in society. So we have these two camps, these two groups of believers, each emphasizing a particular understanding of who Jesus is and the business he's involved with. And of course, both sides find plenty of proof for their perspective in the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Both sides have scripture firmly on their side. Uh, the passage, for example, we read this morning from Luke 4 starts out with an account of Jesus, the curer of ills, and goes on to emphasize this part of his ministry. In fact, hardly a chapter in Luke goes by, at least in the next few chapters, without some mention of Jesus curing an ill, either a societal ill or an individual ill. Chapter 5, Luke, he cures a man who has leprosy. He cures a man who is paralyzed. Chapter 6, he cures a man whose hand is shriveled. And then he goes on to proclaim the poor and hungry blessed. Chapter 7, he cures a centurion's servant and raises a widow's son from the dead. And he also allows a despised woman in his society, a prostitute, to dump perfume over his feet and wash them with his hair, her hair. Chapter 8, he cures a woman from chronic bleeding and raises a girl from the dead. And so on and so on. Time and time again, we read in the Gospels of Jesus addressing the ills of society and the ills of individuals and seeking to cure them. Undeniably then, Jesus is in the business of curing ills. But of course, also undeniably, he's in the business of saving souls, isn't he? Jesus clearly believes that the people to whom he was sent need to have faith in him. Or else they'll suffer an eternity in hell. And so in his ministry on this earth, he preaches, doesn't he? He preaches about repentance and he preaches about the kingdom of God. We read this in the Gospel of Matthew. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And then we read this in Luke. But unless you repent, Luke tells these people, you will all perish. And then many of us, I think, are familiar with the words of John 3.16, where it is very clearly spelled out what Jesus' mission on this earth is all about. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So equally undeniable here. Jesus is the, in the business of, of saving souls. He's in the business of offering eternal life. He's come to make salvation possible for people who desperately need it. All right, so which is it then? Which business is Jesus ultimately in? The curing of ills or the saving of souls? Well, I've been here long enough to know what you're thinking. 
Well, not all of it. Thankfully, maybe. You're thinking that what I'm going to say now is that with respect to the business Jesus is in, you think I'm going to say that this is not an either-or proposition, but a but, but a uh, both-and proposition. That it's not the case that Jesus is either a cure of ills or a savior of souls, but he's both and, right? He's both a cure of ills and a savior of souls, and we should all remember this now as we go home or to the ACM, right? Sermon done. What is there more to say? Well, contractually, um, I'm supposed to preach for 20 minutes. <laughs> and in the 10 remaining now, I'd like this to think about this a little differently. Right? Just let's think about this a little differently. In order to do so, I'd like to, to think about this company that some of you might have heard about. Its name is Uber, right? Uber. Uh, most people know Uber as a, as a ride-sharing business, right? If you need to get from one place to another, you just access the Uber app on your smartphone, you type in the relevant information, and soon or not so soon, a driver will show up and get to where you need to go, probably. Uh, it's essentially a taxi service, right? Essentially a, a taxi service, you might say. But of course, Uber is also a food delivery business, isn't it, right? If late on a Tuesday night, you get a craving for a Tsuri um, Geschnetzeltes, all right, or a taco for that matter, an Uber driver will go to that restaurant, he'll pick up your order, and he'll deliver the food to you. So seemingly two very different businesses, taxi service, food delivery, but really, at the end of the day, it's one business, isn't it? It's one business, if you think about it. Uber is in the business of providing fast, easy, technologically enabled transportation. Whether that transportation be for your brother Donald or for your McDonald's burger. It's really only one business. It's really only one business. So now back to Jesus. So instead of thinking of Jesus and these two separate businesses uh, concept that, that operate alongside of each other, maybe even some tension between the two, I wonder if we can think about it just one business. It's just one business. And that is the business, let's just use the word healing. It's not a perfect word. But let's just use the word healing. These two thrusts of his ministry, the saving and the curing, they don't compete with each other. They're really part of the same thing. Christ's mission to heal, to heal the totality of the human person, to restore the totality of them, to make them whole body, mind, and soul. We need to think of only Jesus' death and resurrection to see this. Perhaps some of us think of, of Jesus' death and resurrection purely as the work of Jesus, the Savior of souls, right? It's all about the soul being saved. And of course, that's true. That's absolutely true. That's part of it. 
Through his death and resurrection, Jesus made salvation for human souls possible. But he did something else through his death and resurrection, didn't he? He made the restoration of our bodies possible, didn't he? He provided a way for our bodies to experience complete and eternal healing. He provided a permanent cure for our perpetual ills. In this then, there's a, there's a physical dimension, right? To the work of his salvation. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, after all, that Jesus' death and resurrection enabled the resurrection of the dead. The, the bodily, physical resurrection of the dead. Not just the spiritual resurrection of the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So Christ's death and resurrection is about both the saving of souls and the curing of ills. Eternal death is conquered and new life is given through it, right? Healing comes to the whole human through Christ's death and resurrection. The whole of the person is restored and made new. So Jesus heals souls, he heals minds, he heals bodies. Jesus is into healing. And it shows, of course, as we've discussed, in what he does on this earth. The saving of the souls does not come at the expense of curing ills, and the curing of ills does not come at the expense of the saving of souls. God sent his son into this world to heal body and soul, and both are part of his calling. Not in the same way, of course. I don't want to equate the two completely. We can, of course, make distinctions in these parts of Jesus' calling. Absolutely. But we really can't divide them. We really can't divide them. Can't separate them. They're part of his one mission. His mission to heal, to restore, to make whole. So, as we close now, I'd just like us to think about this. To what extent are we as individuals, to what extent are we as a church, carrying on Christ's mission of holistic healing? To what extent are we as individuals and as a church actively involved in this holistic work of restoration, of making whole? To what extent are we in the same business as Jesus was in? As individuals, are our lives about bringing healing to others, whether that be physical healing, emotional healing, or spiritual healing, say reconciliation between them and God? Are our lives about bringing healing to family members, to neighbors, uh, this, again, emotional, physical, uh, spiritual, bringing such healing to family members, to neighbors, to work colleagues, to fellow church members, to others near, to others far? to those whom we know personally, to those whom we've never met. Let's think about average days, average weeks, average months, average years. Let's think about the, let's think about what spiritual, emotional, and physical suffering we've tried to alleviate. What pain in these areas of people's lives we've tried to ease. What needs we've tried to address in these areas. What wants We've tried to fill. 
what situations we've tried to restore, what circumstances we've tried to redeem, peace we've tried to bring about, reconciliation we've tried to effect, harmony we've tried to create, truth we've tried to present, honesty we've tried to promote, all in the service of healing, healing. Are we as individuals in the same business Jesus is in? And as a church, we can consider the exact same in the spiritual realm, in the emotional realm, and in the physical realm. Let's think about what suffering we've tried to alleviate, what pain we've tried to ease, what needs we've tried to address, what wants we've tried to, to fill, what situations we've tried to restore, what circumstances we've tried to redeem, Peace we've tried to bring about as a church. Reconciliation, again, whether that between God and God and people and people, doesn't matter. Reconciliation we've tried to effect. Harmony we've tried to create. Truth we've tried to present. Honesty we've tried to promote. Are we as a church in the same business Jesus was in? Now, of course, as individuals and as a church, we cannot heal all things and make everything and everyone in which we come in contact with whole, right? We're not Jesus. But as an ethos, as a way of life, individually and corporately, we can and should be about healing in these ways. Not ignoring one at the expense of the other. Not just focusing on one aspect while ignoring the others. We should be about bringing restoration, renewal, health and wholeness to mind, body, and soul. And people in situations are desperately in need of these things. So sadly, I think it's safe to say that whether it's fair or unfair, in many societies, I don't know what it's like here in Swiss society, but in many societies, Christians are often not viewed as healers, are they? We're often said, instead seen as destroyers, damagers, dividers, harmers, herders. As people who tear down rather than build up. As people who cause suffering rather than alleviate it. So, again, this criticism might be fair, it might be unfair. You could judge for yourselves. Might be a little bit of both, right? Truth in the middle, maybe. Who knows? But I wonder... The fact that it does exist, I don't think that's really negotiable. The fact that this does exist, this perspective, I wonder if it exists for this reason. I wonder if it exists because so often we who identify as Christians seem more interested in setting people straight with God's truth than making them whole with God's truth. Or, to put it another way, I wonder if it exists because so often we who identify as Christians seem more interested in wielding God's truth as a sledgehammer rather than using God's truth as a scalpel. The sledgehammer is only about wrecking and destroying. The scalpel 
is about healing and restoring. Methods matter, motivations matter, and both are noticed by the people around us. So to sum up, as we see in a reading from Luke 4 today, Jesus Christ came into this world to save souls. Jesus Christ also came into this world to cure ills. He came into this world to suffer and die so that we in body and soul might have life eternal. He came into this world to restore what was lost and to make whole again what was broken. He came into this world to heal. He's now returned to heaven and has left us, his disciples, to carry on this work, right? His work of healing. And so may God, through his spirit, work in us so that we might be up to the job we've been given. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that through your Son you have come for salvation, the salvation of our souls. And we thank you also that through your Son, Jesus Christ, we have someone who is the curer of our ills. Lord, we pray, Lord, that... uh, we would continue his mission of healing in this world, that we would be zealous for his work in our lives and in the lives of others. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. Go into the world this week to bring healing as our Savior brought healing. Go to bring healing in mind, body, and soul in his name witnessing to his love and testifying to his truth. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you and remain with you always. Amen.